sorry. Hang on. Please edit that. <laughs> sorry. You're listening to the CXMH podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Bohr. I'm one of your hosts. I, you know what I've been thinking? I've been thinking we should add a little bit in here, right? So where I, I say, I'm one of your hosts, Robert Vore. I'm a therapist in Atlanta or whatever. And Ooh. we're joined by uh, our, a social work professor, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Because, you know, uh, maybe somebody listens for the first time and they don't know who we are. So maybe that yeah. would, you know. But uh, I love it. we're joined by our resident social work professor, Dr. <laughs> Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing? <laughs> Hey Robert, I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Good. I figured we'd just leave the uh, the whole explanation in there. Why not? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We can just refresh our audience's memory on kind of what we do outside of these episode recordings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know, good. I we I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but you said how are you doing, and I said good out of habit, which you and I just had a longer conversation. Yes, I'm doing that's fine. Right. There's a lot of things happening that aren't necessarily mine to share in you know a space like this that mm -hmm. are frustrating and so you know i, I, I want to be honest about it and That's model good. as we're going to talk about some today that you don't always have to be good it's you know everything's going okay yeah no and that's that's good i think that's good that you model that honesty and authenticity and and everything doesn't have to always be perfect and rainbows and butterflies and sometimes seasons are hard and that's and that's okay i think that's good that you're being honest but how are you yeah. doing yeah I'm good. And, and truthfully, I really, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I know I've, you know, told our listeners last week, you know, we, that I've been traveling a bunch lately and I'm just finally kind of feeling my getting my feet back underneath me in terms of catching up with all the things and trying to spend a little bit of extra time with my family as best I can, you know, right. in light of catching up on the tasks. And so, yeah, but I'm doing, a, I'm doing pretty good. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. So I want it's uh, it's funny I um I just got back from this event that Baylor hosted with the Wake, uh, the Waco Regional Baptist Association they had a like a little discussion on mental health in the church and um and it was funny because the um the director of that program or that association Tim Randolph had you know we, we had finally gotten a chance to meet in person he was like oh I listened to y'all's podcast and and I started laughing he's like yep that's the laugh I'm like oh <laughs> man it's <laughs> uh, like, awesome yeah. yeah it was funny so yeah, anyways yeah. hi Tim <laughs> there you go your laugh is recognizable oh man I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but um, but it was funny just so. a thing yeah yeah just a thing that's good yeah so you know I will say in the spirit of having some, you know, positive things and sharing about our personal lives. I will say yeah. that Auburn basketball made the final four for the first time in school history. Oh! I think by the time this comes out, they will have played that game. So maybe they went further. Maybe they didn't. Who knows? So that was exciting. That's awesome. A long time, I guess, listeners will know that my undergrad was in Auburn. Mm -hmm. And then also I have tickets to Avengers Endgame already. 
we have a champ of a friend who like woke up early to try and buy tickets and all the websites crashed like oh I don't know my if you, gosh it's all, like I don't know how much you care about these things but like no, no, Fandango no, no. crashed and movietickets.com crashed and AMC crashed like it, oh it was gosh. bonkers so he went on his lunch break to a theater and bought tickets for like our whole friend group oh that's as so fun just a champ so oh man it's a good a friend good friend obviously there's 20 something days left but so oh, man. Have to get, so both of those are exciting I'll say that yeah. is exciting yeah. no that's good that's really good yeah Corey would be envious I don't think he's gotten tickets yet but he's I don't know if you if if I've told you that that he's like a huge Marvel fan oh, so man. yeah should, so I'm sure yeah yes yes next time when we come out for Panera yeah you guys <laughs> yeah. <bond> over. <laughs> yeah that's awesome oh man well, I know one of the things that, you know, I, I mentioned that I've been traveling a bit lately. Um, and one of the things that I had mentioned to you is this last weekend, I had gone out to Houston for a couple of days for this Empowering Women series conference that um, the school social work had funded by the Grant Me the Wisdom Foundation. They had created this space for um, a number of our students They've been who have been studying women's issues and empowering women and ways that we can best equip women um, throughout this past year. And then they landed, like ended with this conference to celebrate some of the research that they've done, but also bringing in speakers to talk about women's empowerment issues. And, yeah. and John Singletary and I had served on a panel for this event, um, talking about women in leadership. And so how you know, and I talked a little bit more openly about my journey into being a woman in leadership and or as a woman in leadership. And, and he talked a bit about what it's been like from his point of view in terms of empowering women and um, and the work that, you know, that, that he's trying to continue to do to foster that. So um, so that that was interesting. It was fun. But it made me think about talking about mentoring in general, because that was hmm. such a big heartbeat of some of what I had talked about. And yeah, so I thought maybe we could chat a little bit today about mentoring. Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start. I first want to ask you, like, why don't you tell us a little bit about what mentoring has been like for you or what good mentors you've had along the way or? Yeah, I th yeah. think when I think about mentoring, I know it can often be kind of a more formal type setup, right? Where somebody like is your mentor. I know a couple ministries that we've worked for over the years, not not you and I, but Brooke and I, they yeah. have said like, hey, you know, every year we want you to have a mentor to, you know, just have somebody pouring into you and things, which I think mm -hmm. is, you know, usually a pretty good idea. And so mm -hmm. I've had a couple mentors along the way that have been pretty awesome. Uh, I, I think mm -hmm. more common for me are people that maybe don't, don't have kind of that formal thing attached to it, but that are kind of a step ahead right and I, th I think hey I really respect this person and so I try to make it a point to uh, talk to them and get their opinions on things get their thoughts and things like that mm -hmm. which has always been really helpful a lot of times particularly uh, you know young adults kind of in the millennial generation or whatever you want to call it right <laughs> I think we're and I see this a lot in like my own friend groups but then also in clients that are around my age or a little younger it, it feels like, oh, cool. I like went through all the steps and, you know, you like do this grade to get to this grade, to get to this grade, to get into college, to get a good uh -huh. job. And then you get to that point and there's not, there's not like, Hey, this is a specific 
track that you're supposed to be on, right? Like there's no next thing. Like what's the next thing? Because your whole yeah, your whole life there's been like the this is the next thing. Um and yeah. so it kind of feels like you're floating, right? Mm. Of like, well now what now what do I do? I don't you know, there's been this structure the whole time. And so mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that can be helpful is finding people kind of one step ahead who you think, I really admire this, I really think they're good at this. I really you know, there's parts of their life that I think I would really love my life to look like or to reflect some part of and then trying to get together with them and and really intentionally kind of seek out what they're doing. Yeah. Which is hard. I mean, you have to like find time and it's weird to say, hey, tell me about how you do things or whatever. But I think that can help somewhat with this sense of like existential floating uh, that, Mm. you know, a lot of people that I know are in. Mm. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. I know. And, yeah, and that's a good point. You're saying how there's kind of always this, the next, the next, like, I'm using air quotes right here, but the next right thing, right? And yeah. so it's just this systemic, societal expectation of what the next step should be. Yeah. That's kind of programmed in us. And then we get to a point where we're like, oh, what is, what is the next thing? I kind yeah. of have to turn inward instead of expecting other people to tell me what the next right thing should be. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that is, you know, really when mentoring, I think, can be crucial. I mean, I think it's crucial all the way through, but especially at that point to try to build a sense or some folks around you to have some folks around you who could speak into a sense of relationship that you have with them. Like, I think that relationship piece is important, but then also for them, for you to be able to say, yeah, I I trust you. I trust the direction that you've gone into and, and, and want to learn from you. So I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I I think when I think about playing the other side of that, it's always been a more informal thing as well, right? Doing college ministry. And then when I was teaching, so there was like a a relational aspect to my middle and high schoolers there as well. Mm -hmm. It was typically, you know, how do I help lead these students of whatever form in a way that is, I mean, kind of a mentor role because I was like that one, two steps ahead, Uh but maybe not, you know, they didn't say, oh, you're my mentor. But right. that you build that relationship and, that, yeah. you know, you can play that role without maybe, I don't know, without that formalization where you're just trying to model good things and um, yeah. you know, call people into, I don't know, so, uh, I don't know, I'll edit out that last bit, it matter. <laughs> maybe I won't, I'll leave it in for uh, no. honest podcasting, here you go. Yes, that's yeah. awesome, I love it. Well, um, what was really interesting about this conference that we had was that we did have this specific focus on women in leadership. And so I do want to talk a little bit about mentoring, but but within the context of some of um, some things that I also discussed, I think, within at this conference. So first, I would, you know, tell our listeners that, you know, as we talk about mentorship or leadership in some way, shape or form, like the truth is, is that we're all leading in some capacity, whether we realize it or not, whether Mm. it's at home or at work or in our community or within our congregation or our own lives or, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, we, we really are leading in some way, shape or form. And so our mentorship can be built in in a lot of ways that we may not explicitly recognize in some kind of formal structure like you were mentioning, but yeah. they it still happens. Yeah. 
So one of the things that I had talked with my or at this conference about was kind of these three general themes of me leaning into leadership. And then I'm I'll kind of link that to mentoring in a moment. But but with these three themes, um, I talked about um, when I was really young, recognizing social conditioning around women and, you know, again, tying this back to women in leadership and, you know, and and the type of home in which I grew up in where, you know, women's voices in many ways were not valued. And some of the things that I saw in terms of what women were expected to do and the roles that they had definitely did not lend to me ending up as a professor. Like this is not the norm of what I saw growing up. And on one side of the family that I grew up in, it was women were very much tied to, well, actually in both, um, women were very much connected with the the typical homemaker roles. Um, And I had even, you know, received messages growing up of, you know, you're going to marry someone with a lot of money and (laughs) you're going to go golfing. And that's just what's going to happen. And um, you're going to stay at home with the kids and, you know, and it just, um, and I do believe that the family that I grew up with, I think that they did the best they could with what they had and with their own sense of awareness. But, but part of my narrative is that my, my mom, who you met, mm-hmm. um, sent, tended to, she woke up to her own sense of feminism when I was young. And so I watched as, you know, she, you know, really started to take ownership of, of who she is as a person and not by defined by these roles. Yeah. And, you know, and linking it to mentoring a little bit, you know, she had no idea that some of the music she was playing or some of the messaging or things that she was saying or that honesty and authenticity that we were just talking about was so formative for me yeah. to watch how she was waking up to the sense of feminism, even though I don't think today she would call herself a feminist. She really was still bucking up against that culture yeah. of of what she was surrounded by. So yeah, yeah. So it truly empowered me. But yeah, yeah what were you say? I was gonna say we we talked in our faith and doubt episode about uh, kind uh, of this habit or this uh, you know process of like deconstruction, and uh, I, I think I use a lot of narrative work in in my work and things, right? And so I I tend to think of kind of a similar process, but there does come this point where you have to kind of evaluate the narratives that you've been given in terms of That's here's right. how the world works, right? Because we yep. all kind of just assume that this is how the world works and everybody else also thinks the world works the way we think it works, yep. uh, which then we encounter problems where they don't. And then that's frustrating, but kind of this idea of deconstructing those where you, you are allowed to step back and say, how do I understand that the world functions? What narratives have I bought into have been communicated either directly or indirectly? Uh-huh. And do I believe that those are true? Do they vibe with my uh, values, what I think is important, as opposed yep. to just rolling with them, right? And I've tweeted a couple times about things along these lines because I spent a lot of time thinking about it. But mm-hmm. I, I think when you do that the next step then is, okay, how do I kind of surround myself with people who uh, provide me with narratives that are true and are beneficial and are helpful, right? So, Mm -hmm. but on the flip side of that, making sure that the narratives that we are communicating to other people about them or their role in life or how the world works, I think is really important. And and we need to be really like intentional and careful about that, right? Because like you said, your mom didn't know she was communicating all these things to you, but it was dramatically 
formative for you, right? Yeah. In Hillary yeah. McBride's episode, way back uh-huh. then, we yes. talked some about this because her book... Mother's Daughters and Body Image. Yeah. Right? Learn, learning to Love Ourselves as We Are is the yeah. subtitle. But in her book, yep. the like kind of the consistent finding that she keeps coming to is that how the mothers viewed their own body impacted the daughters more than what they said about the daughters. So if the mother kept saying, you know, oh, these pants make me look so fat, whatever, if the mothers kept kind of having those own narratives about themselves, no matter how much they said Mm. to their daughters, hey, looks don't matter, whatever, whatever, the daughters took those narratives because Mm -hmm. that's how they saw that the world functioned in like actuality. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a good example of your mom's yeah. narratives shifting of how I understand the world to work and it really forming you and who you oh, are. Oh my gosh. Years yes. later. Yeah. Yes. And I'm so thankful for it because for her, there it took a lot of courage for her to go through that process that, that she went through. But, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful for it for a million reasons. Yeah. But anyways, so that was, I think that's really kind of that first phase of like recognizing the social conditioning and, and, you know, just for fun, some of, I remember we, we used to have like Alanis Morissette and (laughs) Annie Lennox playing and Sarah McLaughlin. You probably, some of these folks are probably before your time, maybe, maybe. I know know who they are. Oh, okay. (laughs) But, and even like, I was joking with my, with my colleagues at this event, even like Spice Girls. I remember listening to Spice Girls all the time. And, and it's so it frustrates me to no end that I can still remember every single word to their songs, but I can't remember like what happened yesterday. But anyways, that's a, for a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I think so. Yeah. So first, I really started with recognizing that social conditioning and then moved into that sense of questioning the social conditioning, which you talked about, you know, and really at this point for me, this was more closer to around um, late teens, early adulthood, college, but trying to, or moving towards like cultivating a sense of my own identity, Hmm. uh, recognizing what I passionately knew that I wanted to do and working really hard to achieve it in term and juggling a lot of roles at this time. I mean, this was a season for me that, you know, I really continue to try to buck against that system that I mentioned and, and do everything I can to stay true to that, you know, deep inner voice of like, this is what I was made to do. Mm. And, you know, and I still heard from my family, um, from members of my family, especially not my immediate, but, but outside family, you know, telling me that, women are supposed to stay at home with the kids and Mm. men are supposed to be the one working. And I think I've mentioned on this show that my husband, you know, he is a stay at home dad and he's an amazing stay at home dad and he's not just a stay at home dad. So even bucking against that and saying, you know, this is his work and this is what he does and he's incredible at it. And I'm so thankful, but we've had to navigate a ton of that with within our family but it was also during this time that as I was working really hard to to do what I love to do, I was met with an incredible number of mentors who, again, I don't think they realized how much they were forming me in yeah. the things that they were doing, right? But they, but they were teaching me how to be fully and completely myself um, and navigating this academic world. So this was thinking about when I was in my master's program and my PhD program, especially having 
my mentor, Dr. Parrish, who, you know, she she was kind of forming her own self in terms of being on tenure track at that time, but she was so intentional about inviting me at the table for certain conversations, empowering me in the work that I was doing. She would speak into my strengths mm. and tell me like, this is, this is good what you're doing. Keep doing this. And didn't, you know, didn't let me do something that was really good or that needed correction without, you know, she didn't let those moments pass. She spoke yeah. into them. So that was really powerful. And I've had, I've had other mentors along the way who, you know, not just her, she's the most formative because she would actively do that. But then I would watch what it was like for her to be on faculty and a mother mm. and a wife yeah. and have a personal life and friends and go play soccer and, you know, and juggling all these roles. And, and I would just watch her and just marvel like, oh my gosh, this is amazing that you're yeah. able to do this. But I learned so much from her and not just that, but, but I, I really think one of the most important things was she was creating these spaces for me. She was pulling up chairs at the table for me to be part of conversations that I would continually have imposter syndrome over and be like, hmm. I can't believe I'm, you know, like, yeah. I can't believe I'm here. Why, why do I deserve this? And she saw that in me. And at the same time, I woke up to a lot of brokenness and in, in systemic ways in which, you know, we don't, in, especially with women, empowering women, but but just in general, how we find struggles in today's society when it comes to advancing or doing anything else, right? So, so one of the things, you know, I would often hear about would, you know, I'd, I'd hear grumbles across the academy about women having children while in, in their PhD program and then women having <laughs> children during their tenure track and there's never a good time to have kids. And and then systemically how, how this lack of support that we have for family medical leave for men and women. But um, so that was, you know, kind of interesting. But that juggle, it, you know, it was, it was tricky. Yeah. But I also, during this time, though, I think I started noticing how important it was to build in some of those structures for mentoring. So during my master's program, I had started a, an MSW, like, peer mentoring program so that second-year master's students could mentor first-year master's students. Hmm. Because, you know, when we start something new, we don't – and we're trying to learn kind of the culture and learn the – those things that aren't typically just taught in a classroom, right? Yeah. Did y'all ever have anything like that in your master's program? Like some kind of peer mentoring or I don't no. know. So it was, my master's was, they were all evening classes because they were for working adults. So there wasn't okay. like the whole kind of draw of it was you can blow in and do your class, you know, five to seven thirty or seven forty-five to ten fifteen, and then go home. So there wasn't probably as much, uh, you know, kind of social component as other programs where it's kind of full-time because everybody there had kids and jobs and things like that. So there's probably a little bit different of a kind of social dynamic. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I remember we did have, we tried to bring in some of our non-traditional students or, you know, evening or weekend students and, and it was tricky. Um, but the wisdom that they had, you know, when they were able to participate in this was just invaluable. So yeah. But yeah, I started to realize during this time, like we have to create some structures for mentoring and it it really does help when we have that. So I had done that. And then, you know, and I see ways in which Baylor creates these mentoring programs for new faculty members. And 
Um, and there's there's some things that are you know being done, but but that was that stage. So again, like kind of questioning those the, some of that social conditioning, and then now one of the things that I had talked at this conference about was was more that today my my focus is more on changing that social narrative for women around me mm-hmm. and just in, in in mentoring in general. Yeah. And being so much more mindful of how I model strong leadership or or whatever it is that I'm doing, how I model that to my kids and how I'm modeling certain things to my students, to my yeah. colleagues, um, to other faculty, to other PhD students at other programs who are reaching out to me with questions about things. Um, it's just so important to be paying attention to that. Yeah. And just real quick, because yep. you, you, you keep saying modeling, which I'm on board with, because that's a very common, you know, kind of term in mental health treatment. But right. just for people at home, right, that obviously you can kind of guess from context, but this idea of like, action speak loud and words type things, right? Where if you, yes. if you say, hey, boundaries are important, but then you're responding to emails at 3am on That's a Wednesday right. night, or, yes. you know, then what you're, what you're really communicating is that you should be available at any given time, right? So That's when you right. say modeling, kind of this idea of am I demonstrating and like really showing that the things that I say matter, do matter the way that I say things should function, do function, not just kind of paying lip service and then kind of what we talked about with Hillary McBride's research, right? Where you can say yeah. one thing, but what what you do and how you move through the world says a whole lot more than kind of what you're saying ideally should matter. Yep. That's absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. For me, and for me, that goes back to this idea of integrity, which for anyone who's read Brene Brown's new book, Dare to Lead, she has a whole list of different values that uh, for folks to really hone in on, like, what are your top two values? Mm, yeah. And for me, my top two was integrity and I think it was spirituality or love. They, they, those two kind of went back and forth. So if mm. those are those are my three. But integrity is the top one, and it goes to that idea of not just you know what am I saying and how do those actions either connect or not connect, right? Or how are they separated from one another? But how am I able to fully integrate all pieces of who I am into one being so that I don't have to be one person at work and one person at home Hmm. and one person out at church? And like, how do I integrate these all together and practice that sense of integrity so that I can model that to whoever it is that, you know? Yeah is paying attention. I don't know. But yeah, which is probably more people than so and I don't do it perfectly. So I do sometimes we'll say, right, yeah, 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 right. But yeah, I don't I definitely don't do it perfectly in terms of, you know, sometimes I will do late emails. But that's because I, you know, valued going on a retreat and taking a weekend to do that. And so I have to catch up. And so anyways, so so being mindful of how I model this is critical and not just to my students, but to my family. But then also how I recognize, so I feel like I'm in this place now where I'm kind of balancing how do I model this for my students and for others, but then also how do I recognize those who I have learned from? Mm. So honoring and submitting awards and sending emails of gratitude to those who are changing me and shaping me and forming me in ways that they may not realize it. And so... John Singletary, who we had on earlier last spring, I had nominated him to receive the Council on Social Work Education's uh, Women's Council Mentor Recognition Award, which is 
specifically for those who support and empower women. I've um, nominated Dr. Parrish for that before, Dr. Gaynor Yancey and, and others as well. And then also in just anyone who's really kind of creating that space for us. Yeah. But then at the same time, turning around and in the same way that Dr. Parrish held up or created that space for me to come sit at the table and be part of these conversations, how am I then turning around and seeing who needs to be at the table? Like now mm. we're given where I am in my position. How do I look around the table and say, who needs to be here? How do I create spaces for more diverse voices, especially those who are up and coming in terms of their own sense of calling or leadership or what they're doing to be able to genuinely ask about their passions and and empower them to be able to to do what it is that that they're called to do. Yeah. And to invite them to the table as often as possible, yeah. especially if it means me not being at the table so that they can, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so I've, I've tried doing that um, and then recognizing not just with students, but also with faculty being in a position of as an associate dean, like how am I creating these spaces for, for faculty as well? And then empowering them to also go and empower students. And at the same time, um, constantly paying attention to uh, to some of my own work through this as well, recognizing I don't have it all perfectly and that we can only lead or mentor as far as we've gone, hmm. um, as far as we've you know been willing to step into some of those hard conversations and hard spaces. Yeah. And so I have to constantly be moving into those hard spaces and and trying as much as possible to pay attention to those blind spots um, yeah. so that I can help others and, and help lead others through some of theirs. Yeah. So there's, there were some fun little things that I shared too with the group, how like the, as you're talking about deconstruction and reconstruction. So there was a story that was told about um, these women who were wearing yoga pants uh, recently. And apparently there was a complaint about them wearing yoga pants. And, and it was because of how they could possibly be tempting, you know, people around them, uh, or whatever. And, and I think there was a counter event that kind of spoke against that. But, but one of the things that that I shared with this group, you know, in, in truthfulness and honesty is that, you know, I, one of these things in this sense of deconstruction, reconstruction, I've had to learn how to be how even the clothing that I wear, I've got to be paying attention to how it can be kinder to my body. And mm. so wearing more for me, it's more, it's ends up being wearing more dresses and leggings and yoga pants because I hate at the end of the day feeling like my stomach is in so much pain or parts of me just are in pain because of, of clothing hmm. um, or paying attention to, you know, how I do my hair each day. Do Am I doing it in a certain way just to maintain a desirable look for others or am I doing it for myself? Um, yeah. And I'm sure this is probably all trickled into your conversation too with, with Hillary McBride, but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if people haven't listened to that, they should definitely go back and listen because Hillary is awesome. But a lot yeah. of this, we, I mentioned it right before we started, but Two weeks ago, I mentioned Dr. Lisa Demore's book, Under Pressure, that's about stress and anxiety mm -hmm. in girls. And everybody should go and read that book as well because she talks a lot about these kind of social narratives and things that put stress and anxiety on 
girls because that's who she works with. But、mm-hmm. that come that stem from a lot of these things, right? So even right there, you talked about the thing about yoga pants and how that could be distracting or whatever to others, which、yep. puts the burden on them to somehow take responsibility for other people's, you know, whether. The dudes there can control themselves or whatever it is, right? So right. That, that puts that、That's、burden、right. on them. Would I mean, which you know, we could probably have a whole episode on these. Oh things, yeah, <laughs> but、uh, it gets at a lot of a lot of the things that you're talking about here of kind of these. Why is it that I'm doing the you know? Well, I have to look good. Well, yeah, why? But、right? who says? I mean, yeah, and who says? How do we define that? And yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I've so I've had to do some work around that, and then. Learning to recognize when misogyny or sexism is is occurring, you know, in in or around my life,、um, or you know, or even simple things like, you know, when my kids, you know, the first person who we say for my my kids' school to call is my husband because of him being a stay at home dad,、yeah. and guess who they always call? <laughs> they call you. They call me. That's、yeah. right. That's right. And you know, and I'm not going to be angry about it. But it's also those those subtle little things that that just happen, or you know, which we should、uh, we should mention. Go ahead.、Uh, as you're talking about misogyny and things like that, that part of part of this noticing those types of you know microaggression type things, both of us being white middle class people, we you know, yes, we should also be aware of the ways that we're complicit or. Kind of keeping an eye towards the way that that plays out in terms of racial or sexual identity、Absolutely. thing, right? Because a lot、yes. of these things、yes. tend to not just be additive, but multiplied,、uh, kind of exponential、right. when you、That's、identify、right. as more than one of these groups. So, you know,、right. I think we'd be remiss、yep. not to mention that type of thing as well. No, that's good. I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. With every layer of intersectionality,、um, it does it, it's exponential the amount of oppression or silencing or struggle that that th- they experience. So、yeah. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. But yeah, just navigating through all of this. So、um, again, having strong mentors has been critical for me, and you know, for some of the things that you know that I'm thinking of in terms of. Kind of next steps and moving forward. I had mentioned that you know we can only lead or mentor as far as we've gone, and so it really is critical to practice self awareness、um, and practicing this often, remembering that you know what we. What we needed early in our career、um, may not necessarily be what our mentees need.、Um, if there is kind of a structural way of mentoring,、um, and so paying attention to that and really ensuring that、um, that we're meeting the needs of what our mentees have, and along the lines of that, practicing humility, the ability to listen and listen carefully, and and really hear what our mentees are needing, and paying attention to those things. Yeah, were you gonna say something about that or? Well, no, I just, I mean, I think that's great. It's I'm I'm reading、uh, a handful of things right now on、uh, encouraging and building resilience into、uh, youth and young adults, right? And a lot of it has to do with empowering them and this idea of like giving them roots and wings, right? But part of、mm-hmm. it is in kind of the beginning of one of the books I'm reading. There's like bullet points of kind of the core values of where they're coming from, and one of them、uh-huh. is even with. Adolescents, right? Teenagers recognize that they are the experts in their life. So, how can we help empower them and guide them、yeah. through those things, right? Because you could say, "Well, just don't talk to that girl." Well, okay, in their situation, that、mm. may not 
there may be ramifications that you don't understand because you don't go to high school anymore or whatever it is, right? So that's right. And, and, at any and age, because you're not them. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you so. haven't lived through life in the same way that your mentees have lived through life. And so, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. does take that humility that you were saying of, you know, not saying, yes. well, I'm an adult. I know the, or, well, oh, I'm, gosh, a, no. I'm a doctor, so I know how to do, right? But Mm-mm. that's not, look, everything's constantly shifting. Everybody's experience and, you know, where they are in, in the world is completely different from yours. So, you yep. know, listening and, yeah. Yep. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So that sense of humility, really, it is critical. And I guess kind of right along those lines, understanding your mentee's why and your own. So I know I've talked in this on the show before about Simon Sinek's work. And, and I think really understanding like what your why is, what is it that motivates you more than anything else um, in all that you do and knowing that. And at the same time, knowing what your mentee's why is Hmm. to the best of your ability and how that trickles into what we do. Yeah. And as much as possible, trying to find some kind of shared or common goal that actually connects you both in your why so that as you continue to work together, like you you have this external goal or thing that that uh, your wise both filter through. Yeah. So, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, and it's something that I've really tried to be intentional about with my like with my research assistants, with my graduate assistants, with just students in general that I mentor with. I really try to pay close attention to what they care about and what they're interested in because I don't want like with the example of my graduate assistants. I don't want to ask them to do work or be engaged in something that they really don't care about yeah. because they're, I feel like that's not honoring or valuable of their time. Yeah. Um, and it's not fair to me either to have, you know, someone working alongside me who's not as invested. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that understanding the why is really important. Yeah. So, Also being mindful of what you model. So I think my example before about how my mom, even though she didn't realize how much she was modeling to me, it was was so formative for who I have grown into today. And so being being attentive of of that is critical and including boundaries. So you mentioned that, right? Like being able to model those boundaries and, and I think boundaries are good to model for your mentees so that they actually know, Oh no, it's okay to say no. In fact, it's encouraged. Like we should say no sometimes because we can't do everything. Right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So modeling those boundaries and at the same time the authenticity which we've talked about showing your mentees it's totally okay to be your full self also I would say to actively be seeking to empower your mentee we talked about this a little bit before but trying to find ways to to turn around and let them know what you see in them and the potential that they have um speaking truth into them that they otherwise might not hear and really encouraging them to say hey I noticed you did this keep doing it because Some of us, and I know myself included, you know, that goes a long way when I hear someone that I deeply respect and admire say, you know, that's good. Keep doing that. Um, It gives me that boost to want to keep doing that. So, yeah. And I think that gets at this, this idea, and I've seen it a couple of places, but where, you know, we become or like we live up to the expectations of the people that matter most to us, right? So this idea of, I mean, and, and there's research about, you know, if you, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was, but I think, you know, 
people were told that this set of mice are dumb and this set of mice is smart, even though they were the exact same. And so they treated them just different enough, even though they weren't really meaning to, but that at the end of the day, right, the one mice succeeded more than the other. And that type of idea, and now I'm going to have to go try and find that study again, but we see this play (laughs) out in high school settings or academic settings, right? Where, oh, these kids, I expect them to be troublemakers, right? I saw this a lot in when I was teaching high school where my attitude towards all the students, my my goal, obviously I didn't do it perfectly, but was to expect that they were capable and could do things and that they were good people. They were just trying to navigate this hard time. And I saw my relationships with those students be very different from relationships with other teachers who, okay, these kids are the troublemakers and, you know, they're just doing whatever and these kids should be, you know, and, and they, they can pick up on that whether you think they can or not. And I'm using obviously high school students, but in college and things like that, I mean, in general, there's this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy idea that, you know, I expect to get in a fight with my wife when she comes home, I'm going to act in subtle ways that ensure a fight, right? Like these things play out. So, All that to say, you know, finding strengths and and calling those out and saying, hey, I believe for bigger and better things for you, not in like a better moral way, but like, I believe that you can do these great things really matters, especially because you might be one of the only people that is communicating that message. Yep, that's right. Yep. That that encouragement and that empowerment, we have no idea sometimes how planting those seeds can take root and just take off for that individual. So, I mean, I think back to even early in my undergrad degree, folks speaking into me and saying, yes, you can do research, like how much that had an impact on me to be like, oh, even though, you know, research, there are a lot of, it's kind of a male dominated field. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Having people say, no, you can do this. It, it just, it, it did a lot for me. So Yeah. yeah, that encouragement is, is critical. Yeah. So, and then I would also say as much as mentors can actively empower their mentees, I would say for mentees, as much as you can, you know, try to consider different ways to give back or let your mentor know how helpful they are and what's working and what isn't and being honest about that. Um, Let them know that that encouragement did something for you. So. I mean, circle back to them. I've gone back and I mean, like a decade after I would take a class, I've circled back to some of my professors to say, hey, this way that you taught this thing, it has impacted me in X, Y, Z. Or, you know, you have no idea that, you know, you connected me with this researcher. And because of that, I am, I have fallen in love with this whole area of research or whatever. Yeah. But let them know. Yeah. Like it encourages them to then go want to pour into more mentees too. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. So if if any yeah. of your students are listening, they should uh, send you a gift <laughs> basket. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, they don't have to do that. I get I get sweet little notes though from my students. At the usually around the end of each semester, I get you know a handful of notes from students that that bring me to tears because I have no idea that some of the things that I do. I mean, I'm already going to start. I can feel it coming up right now, but <laughs> but I I I have no idea sometimes how truly just being who I am is impacting my students, yeah. and then I get these notes from them about 
what their takeaways were or something I did in class, how that impacted their whole faith perspective. I mean, when I'm teaching statistics, like <laughs> just these different things that I'm, it just blows my mind. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, I think, yeah, no, I don't want gift baskets for any students <laughs> who are listening. Don't, that's okay. Just a little note or email sometimes is helpful, but you hey, don't send them to me. I'll make sure they get to Holly. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure she um, loves jelly beans and chocolate covered pretzels. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so the last thing I would mention is as much as possible, you know, we really need to be paying attention to how we're cultivating the next generation. Um, so if we are in a position where we can pour into those who are coming behind us in, in learning and growing and, and figuring out some of the things that we already have, if we can find ways to turn around and reach out to them and support them and share, here's what worked for me. You can take it or leave it, I, you know, based on what you need. But if I can hold space for you as you're trying to figure out your next steps and discern your next steps, I'm, then I want to do that. But as much as we can use whatever skills or whatever power or privilege that we might have to support those around us, um, to pull up the chairs at the table, to pay attention to who's at the table, who's not, and how can we cultivate this next generation to do even greater things than we have been able to do. Yeah. I, I feel like that is our call hmm. in mentoring and and in supporting others, especially wrapping it all up in humility and and truthfully recognizing that we don't have all the answers. But um, from my faith perspective, in whatever ways in which God can use each of us to continue to serve and create a better space and cultivate the next generation of leaders, like we absolutely need to be doing that. So, yeah. 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 No, that's so, good. Yep. So mm. anyways... Those are a few thoughts. Yeah. Just a few <laughs> that I had. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But I would just say whatever we can do, you know, to to pay it forward um and to to pass along whatever knowledge we have is is really important. So Yeah. I hope this was helpful for our listeners thinking about, you know, many of them probably in master's programs or in congregation settings or, you know, who are in areas of leadership or moving into lead areas of leadership. Yeah. But well, and even, I mean, we, we touched on it, but even maybe not, you know, formal areas of leadership, but who mm -hmm. are around and interact with people who are a little bit younger than them or people who look yeah. up to them or, you know, whether you know that or not, that's still, you know, being aware of kind of that power that you, you have yeah. and saying, how do I use this for the good and the benefit of those who yeah. are, coming behind me, whether I have a leadership role or not, you know, right. I think, so hopefully if you're listening to this and you say, well, I'm not a leader, you should recognize that. Yes, you are. Uh, yes, it's you just, are. you know, yeah. recognizing that and saying, who is it that is being shaped by my actions, my, things that's like right. That. Um, and how, what do I do with that? That's right. I mean, even going back to the example about my mom, you know, I feel like that's such a tangible example for, for those who might be parents who are listening you know, or if you're, you know, if you lead a life group or if you, you know, are a shift supervisor at Starbucks, you know, which I've been there and done that, loved it. Um, but whatever it is that you're doing that lead to lead others, like just 
um, paying attention to these ways in which you can mentor others is critical. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah. Well, hey, if you want to connect with Holly, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at Holly Oxhandler, although she is not on social media at the moment, but that's all right. You yes, can, that's okay. Yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back you after can Lent. <laughs> connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore, and you can connect with the show all over the place. You can find all that in the show notes as usual. Holly, any closing thoughts for our listeners this week? Ooh, yeah, I would say if you if you are a mentor in one way, shape or form actively, thank you for what you're doing. Your work is critical and it is so important. And I am grateful for the ways in which you are pouring into um, the next generation of folks who are coming behind you and whatever it is that you're doing. Um, if you are a mentee, I want to thank you for your vulnerability and willingness to reach out and find someone to um, look up to and to learn from, um, because that does take humility too on your end. And and I, I just encourage each of our listeners this week um, to pay attention to how they can continue to lead and pay it forward in in whatever it is they're doing. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks Thank for you. coming on the show. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me, friend. <laughs> yeah. Come back anytime, including next week. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, listeners, thanks. And I hope you have a great rest of your day as well. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com. 